I love to worship Jesus. I love to worship him. And I love to worship with you together. You worshiping God is such a blessing to me personally. It, we've heard a lot this week about someone who inspired a nation. But Jesus and worshiping with you, the family of God, inspires me. It's an awesome feeling. I hope this morning you have sensed and you have enjoyed the presence of God. It is an incredible thing. When I was preparing this sermon and my prayers have been answered, I was thinking about community and living together in community and worshiping and serving God together in community and, and how impactful that is. And I remember going back in my memory to my high school days when I attended Churchill High School in Harare, Zimbabwe, school of about 1,500 boys. And uh, we used to have war cry practices. Now, I don't know why it was called war cry. It must have been from years past. But what it was is when two schools played sports against each other, so let's take, for instance, Eastdale and I think, uh, give me another high school, Curtis High. Okay, Eastdale and Curtis High were going to play a rugby against each other. What would actually happen is it took all Saturday because each grade had a first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth team. So what happened is at 8 o'clock early Saturday morning, you'd have the little tykes, and the day would just keep progressing, and the players would get bigger. And then what ended up having to happen at the end of the day, after this culmination of all these games, it was compulsory that all the students who attended Churchill High School or Curtis High School and all the students who attended Eastdale would have to show up. It was compulsory for the varsity game at 4 o'clock. 1,500 students from Curtis High. 1,500 boys from Eastdale all their parents, the community. And let me tell you, and I played rugby, you want to know inspiration. We would meet on Wednesday, all of us students in our courtyard. The classrooms were two stories high, and we had this big grass courtyard. And the prefects, the leaders of the school, would call us all in for war cry practice. And we would go through our cheers. And let me tell you, when you hear 1,500 students with funny British accents all somehow in unison, start singing these war cry songs, getting, ex getting us excited about Sunday. It was awesome. But you know what was even greater? Is when I got to the point when I wasn't there singing with them anymore, but I was one of the athletes in the locker room getting ready for a rugby match. And we would start hearing the war cry practice. And you'd hear our school start and you would hear their school start. And the energy and enthusiasm just started to build. And I remember running out of that locker room and just sprinting out and you would see all your school in uniform and all of their school in uniform and the parents and the cars everywhere. And all that went through my mind is, I am so sorry for the first guy I tackle. <laughs> and after that, I got on with the game. But being in community and doing something together, there's power there even more so because we do it for Jesus. Amen? Three years ago when the Lord called me into ministry, I asked our congregation a question. Do we, Calvary Baptist Church, His church, the people of God, matter to our community? 
If Oshawa shut down this church, would our neighbor right there even fight for us? Would they even say a good word for us? I'm encouraged. I think now, thanks to God's grace and his goodness, we are starting to make inroads and mattering to our community through the different programs and the ministries that he's allowed us to offer to our city. And I think there would be families, and I think there would be people who attend the different ministries here that would start to say, you can't close that place down. It's impacting our lives. It's impacting our families. Three years later, I come to you again with a question. Does this community, one another, the body of Christ, and his work among us matter to us? This community right here. If this physical building was to be shut down, this place of worship where we gather to worship our great Savior, would this gathering that we enjoy together on Sunday mornings and the various ministries that each of us and our families enjoy during the week, would we miss them? You see, being part of a community is crucial. Being part of a community is crucial. Being a Christ follower was never intended to be done alone. It was to be done in community. That is why in Ephesians 1, chapter 3, verse 5, we see that God adopts us through Christ. When you're adopted, you immediately become part of a family. So we will have support. So we will have encouragement and accountability so that we will grow. And this community has to be a community of love. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Scripture says, I give you a new command to love one another as I have loved you. So, love one another. And if you do this, Scripture says, they will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. What people experience here, and if you're visiting today, I hope the community and the presence of God that you experienced here today is something that you have not experienced anywhere else in the community when it relates to unity and body and a sense of purpose and hope and peace. When people enter this physical building and see the church, which is us, I hope the community they experience here is nothing they've experienced elsewhere when it comes to community. So with this thought in mind, each of us need to take a look in the mirror and we need to honestly ask, ask ourselves if we have a longing to see this representative of the family of God grow, not just numerically, but grow in love for one another and grow as disciples of Jesus, which includes being baptized and helping each other to obey all that he has commanded us. Why? Why is that so important that we do this in community? So we, as his people, can serve God first, our families, this local church, the city of Oshawa, and the world effectively. Does Christ and loving him matter to you and to me? Because I believe if it does, then we cannot neglect his mission, nor can we neglect his people, the church. And in so doing, we will be built up. We will be strengthened. I think if you came in this morning a little discouraged, I hope by the presence of God here this morning that you're going to leave feeling strengthened and encouraged and built up. So that 
we will all commit ourselves to seeing his mission and his church here at Calvary Baptist grow past your generation to the next generation and the one after. This summer, I had the privilege of going down to one of Jen's uncle's celebration of 50 years in ministry within the Lutheran church. Now, please, I'm not generalizing about Lutheran churches with one big swipe. I'm just letting you know what I experienced. And we went down and had a great day celebrating with Uncle Bob his faithfulness and ministry in the Lutheran church. But you know what, folks? I leaned over to Jen. The church was packed. I leaned over to Jen and I said, you know what's so sad? I said, I don't see anybody here under 60 years old. I said, the place is packed. But I said, what's going to happen when they physically all die? This facility is just going to become a tourist site in Stratford of beautiful stained glass windows. And that gripped my heart. And I thought, Lord, does our community, this body of believers, this representative of his church at Calvary Baptist, does it matter? So much so that we are not going to, by God's grace, see his work here and his mission and just with our generation, but it's going to go on for generations after generations. I pray through his word this morning and the working of his spirit that in our hearts, we as his people here at Calvary Baptist Church, this community of believers will commit to loving God and one another so much so that we will build each other up, mission with God for the long haul. I believe there's a good picture of what a community of believers like this should look like in Exodus chapter 35 and 36, and that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. I believe there are some characteristics in these early people of God that can be helpful for us to identify as we seek to do mission with God and with his people right here at Calvary Baptist Church. Before we get into the text, it's always good to just know some background, some context to the, the portion that we're going to study this morning. We're going to be reading from the books of, book of Exodus, and for those of you who have grown up in church, this should be familiar to you, but it's good to be reminded. God has delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. Despite their grumbling, he has provided for their physical needs. He provided for them manna. He provided for them quail. He provided water from a rock. And you'll have to forgive me, but you know my leaning towards outdoors. And uh, I have a friend here this morning, Chris, who I've hunted with, sorry, harvested animals with. And uh, when I was reading this, I thought, isn't God good? He sent them quail, of all things. That is awesome. You know how stinking hard it is to shoot quail? And here he just like brought it down to them. I was talking with my friend Bay, and he's inviting me out to Arizona. Come quail hunting in the winter. He says, it's great. You just kind of walk through the bush, and all of a sudden, he says, all these little just balls of feathers just start flying everywhere. And he says, you just try your best to get one of them. But isn't that awesome? God just provided it for them, despite their grumbling. He defeated their enemies. In chapter 19, Moses, we know, ascended Mount Sinai to receive from the Lord his instructions for the people, which included the Ten Commandments. Do you remember while Moses was with the Lord, the people got impatient? And can I just say something? Often we make poor decisions when we're impatient. And can I encourage you to come back tonight? Pastor John is going to talk about doing mission with God. Wait on him is the starting point. 
And I'm telling you, that is such a good word because when we are impatient, we often make poor decisions. So while Moses was up there, they decided to do the whole golden calf, build an idol for them scenario, which we'll touch on a little bit later. God was angry with his people, sent Moses back down. And on his way down, Moses was so angry, the Bible says he smashed the two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments. He destroyed the golden calf. Scripture says that day 3,000 people died who were not for the Lord. The next day, Moses went back up the mountain. Can I just say, I am so thankful doing ministry with God and leading a church isn't like how Moses had to do it. That guy climbed a ton of mountain. You read in chapter 19, when I was reading, three times he went up, then they rebelled. He goes up, he comes back down. I think Moses, I wish we could see a picture of him because I think that guy was in incredible shape. He climbed a ton of mountain on behalf of his people. It was awesome. So he goes back up after they've rebelled and makes atonement for his people. And the Lord said that he would put a plague on his people for the sin that they have committed. But then he told Moses, Moses, it's time to leave this place and to head to the land that he had promised them. And in verse 33, verse 3, he says something very drastic. Verse 33, verse 3, God says, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. Because you are stiff-necked people, I might destroy you on the way. All this hustle and bustle going on. Moses going up and down. People impatient, making their own decisions that God is not pleased with. God comes down. Tablets are smashed. 3,000 people dead. And all of a sudden, this warning comes out. I will not go with you. The tone of the story changes there. And the people recognize what they've done. And Scripture says they mourned and they realized the seriousness of God not going with them. Because in chapter 33, verse 16, we see that God's presence with his people is what distinguished him from every other people in, on the face of the earth. It was important. Man, we serve a great God, and we sang about it this morning. After all these people had done, in spite of what the Lord had done for them, you know what he did? He agreed to go with them. Chapter 33 and verse 14. And can I just spend one minute here on our way to where we're going to head? That's the character of God. God with us. God agrees to go with us despite our rebellious attitude, despite our sinful nature, despite of our disobedience and our grumbling. We serve a great God because he is gracious and he is willing to go with, with us even when we abandon him. That's been God's plan that spans the scope of creation and history and prophecy. We find it communicated throughout the Bible. From the beginning, God planned to create a people among whom he could dwell and who he could have relation with. This plan expresses his character as creative, as rational, and a gracious being. We see it in Eden. The plan began and it was disrupted right in Eden because of sin and disobedience. And the rest of Scripture records God's program to restore His presence with His people and enable them to share relationship with Him. We see that in the covenant with Abraham. We see that in Exodus, which we're going to look at today, the burning bush, Mount Sinai the building of a tabernacle to establish his presence with them. In the New Testament, it goes to a whole new level, the incarnation. God sends his son in human flesh to reside with humanity. Emmanuel, God with us. 
through Christ, God's presence became available to all of us in a whole new way, a permanent means that allows each one of us to relate and have a relationship with God. And then even when Jesus ascended into heaven, he still didn't leave us alone. He sent the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Now God's presence resides in his people, individually. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Just a little snippet on the importance of God's presence, and that just shows his character from the start. He wants to dwell with you individually. He wants to dwell with us corporately because he loves us and he is gracious. So Moses goes back up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says, without water or anything to eat. And while he is there spending time with the Lord, he brought up two new chisel tablets, and the Lord rewrote the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Moses descended the mountain again. Whoa, there's another one. He's back down, now carrying them again. But this time his face is radiant, and the people recognize that, so he gathers the whole community. Did you hear that? He didn't just gather the leaders. He didn't just gather, you know, the gifted ones. He gathered the whole community The life of a follower of Christ is to be done in community. And he shared with them the commands of the Lord, which included the building of a tabernacle, a means of establishing his presence among his people during that time. This is where we pick up the story. Chapter 35, verse 4 says, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ramskins, dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. He addresses the whole community immediately focuses them on the Lord's mission, and then he puts out an invitation to participate. God places us in community, like Calvary Baptist Church, a representation of his church, the family of God, not just for our benefit. He placed us in the family of God and in a community so that we also will contribute to his family and to his mission and his work here at Calvary Baptist Church. How? What does verse 5 say? From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. We sang about that this morning. I bring an offering of praise. I'm not talking money here. I'm talking about changing our whole mindset about how we view this community and what our role individually is, is to support, encourage, and strengthen. I'm talking about thinking about whatever you do, whether it's in the nursery, whether it's in the Sunday school room, whether it's ushering, whether it's folding envelopes to send to people and follow up. Whatever we do must be done as an offering, an act of worship to the Lord. In verse 22, you will see of chapter 34, the Bible says, all who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold, jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. 
Wave offerings were often done by the priests in a token of solemn presentation to God, a first, the fruits of their first love. Bring an offering. What is your act of worship that you have brought to the Lord that is going to benefit his people? They came in many forms. We read it just now. Personal possessions, gold, silver. We read through that whole list. They came. I read in one commentary that it was estimated the gold and silver that they contributed to the work that God had commanded is estimated to be around $1,250,000. But they didn't just give their personal possessions. They also gave of their personal abilities, which, folks, requires time. If you are willing to serve God and his family, it's going to take and require time. But all of these were required to get God's mission accomplished for them, which, as we read in chapter 25 and verse 8, was to make a sanctuary for him so he could dwell among them. Offerings, an act of worship. Offerings of many kinds and many forms. And the focus of their offerings was the Lord. This is key, folks. He was the recipient of their offerings of possessions, abilities, and time. In verse 21, we read, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord, first to the Lord, for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. So they were bringing these to the Lord for the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments that the priests were to wear. By them doing this, they would fulfill the function and purpose of the tabernacle, which was to house his presence among them. And the byproduct of that, I believe, was a community of God's people who would be strengthened and encouraged as they enjoyed God's presence together and worshipped him. Verse 20 says, after hearing the Lord's command to build the tabernacle, after hearing the invite to participate, the community withdrew And everyone had to make a decision on whether God, his mission, and their community of believers mattered enough personally to them that they were going to make it a priority. Let's see who responded. Verse 21 says, all who were willing. Verse 22 and verse 29 says, all who were willing, men and women alike. Verse 27 says, even the leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Are you noting a common theme here? Six times from chapter 35 in verse 5, 22, 26, 29, and 36 verse 2, the word willingness is highlighted. Everyone who was willing. First characteristic that I believe We need to be, as Christ followers of church, serving him and serving one another here in this local church, needs to be that we will be willing worshipers. Why were they so willing? Verse 21 says, we've read it, because their hearts were moved. The Amplified Bible says their hearts were stirred up. And in verse 25, chapter 25, verse 3, the Bible says their hearts were prompted to give. It all begins with our hearts and our attitudes, folks. They recognized how gracious God had been to them, and they longed for his presence to remain among them. It begins with our hearts. Has your heart, has my heart been moved, stirred, prompted 
recently, so much so that we would be willing to sacrifice and to give freely of our possessions, abilities, and our time. I tell you what, my heart was moved this summer when I was in Turkey in regards to making sure we as a church do not neglect the important task of discipling the next generations. It was incredible. And my heart goes out to the church in Turkey, and I pray that God would send workers, even from our church, to go simply to make disciples of the teenagers and the young adults in Turkey. Because they knew the truth, and they seemed drawn to the truth when they were young. But now, because there's not enough people there to disciple them, they just seem to fall away. And my heart was burdened for our local church. And I have a new resolve, and I'm asking God for wisdom. How can I rearrange my schedule to make sure that we do not neglect discipling the next generation? And if that means me being willing to give up some of my possessions, abilities, and time, my heart has been stirred and moved and prompted enough that I am willing to do that. God invites us to come and join him in mission. I like a quote I read this week in a book called Think Orange, When Church and Family Collide by Reggie Joyner. And this is what he says. God's pre- in it, he says, God is more interested in the heart of a church than he is his, its size and intellect. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shut our brains off because we know God gives us clear instructions about making sure we study to show ourselves approved. But even the desire to want to study to show yourself approved has to start with the heart. How is our hearts? Towards God, towards loving one another, and his mission for us. They were not only willing, but they were obedient in this incident. Remember, only three chapters earlier, they showed the same willing spirit to give, but their offerings were misdirected three chapters earlier. They were not for the Lord. Let's take a look quickly at chapter 32, verse 1 through 5. This is when Moses is on the mountain. When the people saw that Moses was, no, was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow... There will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. They had willing hearts, but the object of their worship was man-made. It was not the Lord A warning I gave myself while I prepared this message was misdirected willing offerings of our possessions, abilities, and time can cause us to forget God. What is God's feeling on their misdirected willingness to give to a God with a small g who apparently they figured delivered them? 32 verse 7, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed. 
to it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people. The Lord said to Moses, And they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may not burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Do you and I have any gods, small g, that get the best of our offerings? Let us be careful, and I'm preaching this to myself. Let us be careful that God's mission and his people, his church, don't simply get whatever is left over after we have offered our best to all other gods. Willing worshipers. Secondly, verse 35, chapter 35, verse 30 to 36, verse 2. They were equipped worshipers. 3530, then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge, and all kinds of craft, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and get stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And he has given both him and Oholiab, son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them master craftsmen and designers. The Lord supplied them with leaders who were filled with the Spirit of God. If there's anything you could pray for us as your pastors, that is the request we ask of you. Pray that we will be filled with the Spirit of God. That, I actually read this passage way before I went to Turkey, and I knew one day, God, you've gripped my heart to share on this passage. And then when Pastor Rick asked me if I would cover this morning for him, I was like, I didn't even have to give a second guess as to what is the message you want me to share. Because this whole idea of leaders being spirit-filled gripped me. And I thought, what does that look like? I believe it's leaders who have the heart, the mind, and the power of God. They are refreshing to be around. I was in some hot places this summer. I was in Turkey. And let me tell you, the picture that came to my mind of what is refreshing is when I saw a bottle of cold water that had been pulled out of a fridge and the dew was oozing off the outside surface. That picture compared to just a bottle of water that is pulled off a shelf and, and hasn't been in the presence of God and isn't oozing the Spirit of God and is not very refreshing. That's the picture the Lord put in my mind of what does it mean to be spirit-filled. It means to have his heart, his mind, so much so that it should be dripping off of us as leaders. Please do not neglect to pray for us that we will have the Spirit of God. He also equipped them with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of craftsmanship, and ability to teach others. But it wasn't just the leaders. You'll see in 36 verse 1, the Bible says that he equipped everyone, every skilled person who was willing to join him in mission. Five times in this section, he is recognized as the one, God, as the one who fills, as the one who gives. Everyone who is willing was able to contribute because they had, and what they had was given to them by God. Please recognize this morning, if you have skill, ability, knowledge, 
If you possess those, please make sure you thank God for those because he is the one who gave them to you and he is the one who expects you to use them. In the book I'm reading, it said, talents we are entrusted with must not be laid up, but laid out. Not hid in a napkin, but traded with. I've been teaching this summer downstairs in Spark City to your children about the parables of Jesus and we covered that one where they received talents and then the master came back and asked what they'd done with them. Please, God has given you abilities and talents that his family and his community here at Calvary Baptist Churches need. Please do not hide them and do not use them for his glory and for the edification of the body. So here we see everyone willingly and obediently offering to the Lord for the tabernacle from what they have, worshiping through giving as a community with their possessions, their abilities, their time, working alongside each other in a variety of ways, leaders teaching others while at the same time serving within the community. Everyone was essential. Everyone was invited, skilled, leaders, the whole community. This is a beautiful picture of mission in motion. And please, if you see the sermon of my title, do not think I'm a computer techie person because I am so far from it. But as I was sitting at my desk studying this week, I thought about research in motion. My brother-in-law works for them. And I thought, you know what? I hope at Calvary Baptist Church we are not just a research in motion body of Jesus Christ. We are not here just to research the truth. We are here to know the truth and then live the truth. We are to be mission in motion, but that requires a personal app. And man, if you could see my wife right now, if she heard me speaking, she's in the nursery, she'd be laughing her head off because she says, you don't even know what a personal app is. <laughs> but today, the personal app is do not be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. Willing worshipers, equipped worshipers, and finally, persistent, faithful worshipers. Chapter 36, verse 3 says, They received from Moses all the offerings, all the acts of worship to the Lord for the temple. The Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order. They sent his word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had, what they already had was more than enough to do the work. They got stuck in without delay. They continued to bring free will offerings of worship to the Lord for the temple morning after morning. So much so, the first restraining order was issued. Isn't that something? Restraining orders are usually issued to protect someone from someone else who's doing bad. Remember what I said about the community that people witness inside our church has to be different than any community that they have experienced anywhere else. Folks, a restraining order was put on the people of God because they were being too generous. That is not normal in our society. What an awesome thing. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't that be awesome if God, through his spirit, issued Calvary Baptist Church a restraining order? Stop. 
You've given too much to what I've commanded you to do. What an awesome compliment. Why were they so persistent? Because they were spiritually motivated. They understood what it meant. They had been captive, and now they were free. They recognized and appreciated the importance of God's presence dwelling among them. Therefore, they gave persistently through a variety of means as an expression of gratitude and thankfulness to their great God. They got it. They got it. God had been very gracious to them, and rather than wipe them off the face of the earth, they had seen 3,000 of the community wiped out. But for them that day, they recognized God's graciousness, and they had not been wiped out or abandoned. In fact, he agreed to go with them. They were not just giving to a building project. They were giving to the Lord, an offering of what he had given them. So Calvary Baptist Church, what is our mission? What is our God's mission for us today? What are we, his church, this representative of his family of God, who gather here every Sunday and often during the week, in this place of worship, what are we to be? Pastor Rick introduced a verse last Sunday night that I think is going to become very familiar to you. And it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. And in that verse, we understand what God's mission to us as his church is to be. Because it says the household of God, which is the church, is to be the pillar and foundation of truth. The pillar and foundation of truth. And what is truth? Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. The truth is Jesus and the gospel. And you know what? I was reading this week, and one of the commentators I thought made an excellent point. He said, God's presence can only be a reality in our lives when it's on his terms. And his terms are that Jesus is the only way. He is the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through him. So if we are to be the pillar and foundation of truth, and Ephesians 5.23, we also learn that Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior, then everything we do here at Calvary Baptist Church is to show others who Jesus is. We are the pillar and the foundation of truth which is Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church, his body of which we belong, of which he is the Savior. There was a, an important piece of furniture that was put in the tabernacle that his people built. And this ties in with the whole aspect of what is our mission as the pillar and foundation of the truth. And the piece of furniture that was put in there was called the lampstand. It was one of the few pieces of furniture God had commanded to be put in the tabernacle. God gave specific instructions about how it was to be built, what oil was to be used, where it was to be placed, and what it was to illuminate. God gave specific instructions on what it was to cast a light on. And it was placed on a table 
right beside what was called the shown bread, also known as the bread of presence. There was loaves of bread there that were to represent his presence among them. And this lampstand was there to shed light on those loaves of bread. Strategically, it was to cast a light on the table and on the bread that represented God's provision and presence among them for generations to come. You know what's interesting is in the opening chapters of Revelation, we see the same comparison to a church being a lampstand. It's a strong reminder to me when I was reading this week of what God's view is regarding what our mission is and what he expects of us. We have been placed strategically by God in Oshawa to highlight Jesus. It's one of our five essentials. One of our five essentials says that we will show others Christ is who we are. That means we have to be the church. It's not about just doing church. We have to be the church. We have to do mission with God. And that has to be in motion. And it requires personal application. So what does this mean for each of us? First of all, every single one of us need to ask the question, is God's presence in my life? This might be the application God wants you to do today. You might be sitting here today, and you look at your life and you go, man, the people of Israel sound a lot like myself. You have to ask the question, every one of us, are you experiencing God's presence in your life? Do you have a relationship with God, your creator, who loved you so much that through the gift of his son, the way, the truth, and the life, gave his son for you so that you can be delivered from your sinful, self-centered, disobedient life and come to enjoy his presence dwelling in you? Are you for the Lord or are you against him? We all have to make that decision. Maybe that's your personal application that you need today. If you have been adopted like I have been by God's grace into his family, then I ask the question, are we offering our possessions, our abilities, and our time out of love for the Lord, not out of duty or fear or to obey some rules that have been established? No. Spiritually motivated, are we offering what we have that's been given to us by God as an act of worship so that his name will be lifted up, his mission as a church for us to be a lampstand, to show who he is by the way we live, are you engaged in that? Are you a committed, willing, obedient worshiper? Secondly, will you, will I, step up when our hearts are moved when by the Holy Spirit we are stirred and we recognize a need, will we step up and trust God to equip us for an assignment he may have for you this fall? We are a body and we need each other. And I can just tell you, in the, in the area of ministry where I look after, and I'm sure it's the same for the other pastors, folks, there's many needs. My heart is burdened that it should take us so long to phone call and phone call and phone call people who will be willing to give up some of their time, use the abilities God's equipped them with to disciple the next generation. And I'm not saying that to put a guilt upon you. I'm saying this is the raw reality. The body of Christ and the future generations need you, they need me. 
We need each other. Let's make sure that we are giving God and his people and his mission the best of what he has given us. And thirdly, if you look in God's word today and you look at your life and God's grace to you and you are engaged and you are willing and you are obedient, then the application for you is remain faithful. Continue to be a spiritually motivated, persistent worshiper of Jesus Christ for the long haul. Not just for a season, but for the long haul. I am so encouraged, and I don't mean to point people out, but it blessed me to see Ann and Ron Nanskeville at Spark Soccer on Wednesday night. It was the final night of our soccer, and it's a fun night. And we try and get the parents engaged, and we get the parents in playing soccer, and we, we try and rub shoulders with them closely so that they will experience the love and joy of Jesus Christ in our lives. And you know what is, was such a blessing to me was I looked over and I said, there's Ron and Ann Nanskeville. They are willing and obedient worshipers. When there's a need, they rise to that occasion. And what are they doing here with their lawn chairs from the 1950s? <laughs> Interacting with parents from the community. You want to know why? Because they were once lost. And they are now found. And they will do their part as his body to point and by living to show people who Jesus Christ is. That was a blessing. And it was a great night. And there was no injuries. So thank the Lord for that. Folks, let's make sure by God's grace that stained glass windows won't be all that's left here at 300 Roslyn Road West to show people who Jesus is. Let's pray that God will stir our hearts that no stained glass window, no poster on the wall, although these are all good, but folks, we have to love God and love one another so much so that we'll invest each other that when generations down the road come, if the Lord should tarry, they will walk in and they will experience the community of believers that we have been a privilege of and enjoyed his presence here this morning. Let's make sure this representation of his family is not just going to leave stained glass windows. Let's get stuck in without delay. Will you be one of the willing I found it interesting as I read this passage, and Pastor Dwayne, you can come up. I found it interesting. It doesn't mention anything about the people who were not part of the ones who were willing. Because Scripture said over and over again, everyone who was willing, everyone who was willing, that doesn't mean that was the whole community. I don't know what happened to those who weren't willing, but all I can say is it was exciting to read about some people's lives who recognized how great their God is and who said, man, I long for his presence to dwell among us. So much so that I am willing to worship him because I know he will equip me to do whatever he asks me to do when a need comes up. But not only that, but God, I just want people to know who you are through the way that I live. Give me the grace to do it persistently and faithfully. What will your response be this morning?